Coming up on this episode of Cancer Chat. You know, really one of the most important priorities for patients and their caregivers when they face cancer is um, how do I beat cancer, become cancer free? But very close after that is um, what is my new normal like afterwards? And so really all those quality of life issues that they face may be related to um, pain, inability to return to work, depression, anxiety, um, swelling, rather short treatments related to cancer, they really can negatively impact their quality of life afterwards. And so on some level, they feel great that they're cancer free, but on the flip side, they're never, their quality of life isn't the same as it was before treatment. So finding like, new strategies to help enhance that quality of life and make sure that patients receive them is really important. About 17 million people in the United States are cancer survivors. And that number is expected to go up to more than 22 million by 2030, just eight years from now. Welcome to Hollings Crosstalk. I'm Dr. Ray DuBois, the director of the MUSC Hollings Cancer Center. Today, we're going to talk about a number that we are so glad to see grow, and that is the number of cancer survivors in the nation, right now at about 17 million people. And that number is expected to grow to more than 22 million by 2030, just eight years from now. Understanding cancer so that we can help people to survive it's what I've spent my whole career on. It's what everyone here at Hollings is focused on, and we're really thrilled that more people are surviving cancer and having full lives after cancer therapy. June is National Cancer Survivor Month, and today I'm joined by Dr. Evan Grayboys, a head and neck cancer surgeon, as well as Dr. Katie Smith, the in-house physical therapist here at Hollings. Welcome to Crosstalk. Evan, let's start with the, your new initiative called SCORE, which I, I really like. Uh, it's, uh, Hollings is launching this for survivorship and outcomes uh, research initiative. So tell us what is SCORE and what's your vision for it? Yes, I think SCORE will be a really a fantastic addition both to Hollings and to MUSC. So I think what we envision in the future is something that's really integrated uh, for patient clinical care research and then a, a, a pipeline for, for future um, trainees who are interested in survivorship and cancer outcomes research. And so I think by having um, a home where we can bring researchers from the College of Medicine, the College of Nursing, the College of Health Professions together uh, and really um, use their, their cutting edge research and bring it into the clinical realm that will help, I think, develop new treatments and then make sure patients who are getting survivorship care here um, get the best outcomes possible. Definitely. Um, and again, this is not a small part of the population. A lot of survivors do have issues uh, as a result of treatment or trauma or other things they deal with. So uh, we're looking at some 1 million people who have lived 30 years past their cancer diagnosis and almost 40, 4 million who've lived 5 to 10 years after the diagnosis. So there's a, a wide range of issues they face and their top fears are if they, you know, they beat the disease, how much pain and disability would it cause and how will they be able to afford paying for some of these treatments so why is it important to address these issues holistically? I think as you alluded to in the question, or as you mentioned in the question, um, you know, really one of the most important priorities for patients and their caregivers when they face cancer is um, how do I beat cancer, become cancer free? But very close after that is um, what is my new normal like afterwards? And so really all those quality of life issues that they face may be related to um, pain, inability to return to work, depression, anxiety, um, swelling, or other sort of treatments related to cancer, they really can negatively impact their quality of life afterwards. And so on some level, they feel great that they're cancer-free, but on the flip side, they're never, their quality of life isn't the same as it was before treatment. So finding like, new strategies to help enhance that quality of life um, and make sure that patients receive them is really important to think about holistically. And finances, as you mentioned, is a really big part of that. So it's probably the cost of cancer care, but 
um, partly the inability to return to work and the burden that caregivers and other people face when bringing patients back and forth for their cancer treatments. Yeah, you know, I'm really excited about this as a, uh, a more important component, a bigger component of the Cancer Center. And having just gone through a COVID infection myself, you know, all of a sudden you can't smell anything. <laughs> you, don't, you don't expect that's going to happen, but, you know, it changes your, a lot of things you have to deal with when you, you lose those functions that you normally thought you were going to have for the rest of your life. So I really, uh, it, this is something we really do need to develop more. Um, improved quality of life. Um, uh, one of the services that we're offering is physical therapy, and I see you're smiling, Katie. <laughs> I'm so excited. Uh, <laughs> and some people uh, really do need this after their cancer treatment, uh, and you're relatively new to Holling, so tell us what drew you to the field, and uh, I understand you're a former actress as well, so tell us a little bit about that. Sure. Um, I started here a few years ago. Uh, at MUSC. Before this, I was an actor. I was in New York, I was in LA, um, doing stuff for quite some time. Uh, a lot of Shakespeare, which is why I make my <laughs> patients now do Shakespeare when they're balancing. Um, and got to a point where I decided I wanted to do something more. I wanted to do something different. So I went back to school. I went to Columbia up in New York for physical therapy. Uh, and I was working on the difference between breathing and balance and the diaphragm, because I have asthma, so I was very interested mm -hmm. in that. Uh, and that led me to the connection between breathing and balance and cancer. Uh, and I've had a few family members taken from me because of cancer, so here I am to say, all right, this is enough. Um, how do we help fight it and how do we help make people feel better? And in 2020, uh, I convinced one of the neuro-oncologists here, Dr. Kakia, oh, uh, fabulous guy, great. Uh, to let me have one of his, his offices. And so I was in one of his offices one day a week and we started treating patients because you're here, you're at Hollings, you have downtime where you're waiting, so we might as well give you the physical therapy that mm -hmm. you deserve during that time. Um, we started one day a week in December, expanded to two days a week for 2021. In January, we opened five days a week upstairs. I kept telling everyone, put me in the corner. So they put me in the corner. Um, and now we are on the second floor of Hollings, five days a week. We are here for patients. Um, and it's been just fantastic and phenomenal. And from your diagnosis through survivorship, PT can help. Yeah, so now you're really focused mainly on the cancer issues. And how does how is it physical therapy different with just that cancer focus compared to like a knee injury or you know a shoulder pain or whatever. Sure. So if you're thinking about um, you go through a rotator cuff procedure, it's very simple. It's very straightforward. There's a lot of great evidence. If you're being treated for oncology and for cancer, there's so many other side effects to think about. There's the chemotherapy induced neuropathy. There's radiation fibrosis. There's the cancer related fatigue. Um, graft versus host disease is an issue. The swelling. How you recover from all that stuff. And like you mentioned, Evan, the caregiver burden as mm -hmm. well is a huge thing. And that's something that we can help with, with physical therapy. And you're looking at the patient more holistically than just there's one issue in your knee. It's who are you as a person and mm -hmm. what are you going through and how do we help that? Yeah, very good. So um, Evan, maybe you could help explain how this fits into SCORE and your long-term plans for developing this great program. Yes, I think Katie gave a great answer, and I think the the program that Katie has built here is like exactly, um, I think, a really great example of what we have and what we're hoping to build with SCORE. So I think recognizing that we have some strengths in physical therapy, they're growing, we have 
uh, I think now the ability to provide patients with really cutting edge and evidence-based care that will help them along their cancer journey uh, and take that same model for physical therapy and applying it to many other aspects that are really important for survivorship. And so I think having some infrastructure, like Katie mentioned, having a space where patients can come uh, and then having really expert personnel who really are very specifically focused on the very um, uh, the many different issues faced specifically by patients with cancer as opposed to many other patients who might use physical therapy services allows us to really address those issues specifically. Mm-hmm. And, and obviously you both know that anxiety is one of the things that comes with a cancer diagnosis, so we can't overlook that. What are some of the benefits of your physical therapy um, when patients get it you know, under your care and, and who's eligible for it? Sure. Um- So I think as soon as you get a diagnosis of cancer, you should have your physical therapy evaluation. If you think about a patient who's about to go through a bunch of infusions and they have back pain and sciatic nerve pain, that's gonna be made worse by having to sit in the chair for several hours. So we can help you through that. If, back to rotator cuff, if you have a rotator cuff injury and you're about to have surgery for breast cancer, we should help with your range of motion for that. Um, If you're on the other side of things and you're 100 days out from your bone marrow transplant and you're feeling like, now I went through all this stuff, how do I get back to being me with the cancer-related fatigue, with anxiety that has now made you breathe up through here instead of breathing mm-hmm. down here and has affected your balance? We can help with that as well. Um, and if you're on the palliative side of things and you're thinking, well, how do I move around my house? How do I train my family members to move around my house? How do we do this safely and stay as independent as possible? That's also something that we can help out with. Definitely. So Evan, we all know you're a head and neck surgeon. and. Uh, when you intervene surgically with a patient, it really re, sort of redirects their whole anatomy and the way things work uh, in the places where you remove those tumors. So how is this gonna help with those patients in particular? Yes, I think um, my clinical background as a head and neck surgeon is really what drew me to survivorship as a clinical and research enterprise in the first place. And so um, many of our treatments for head and neck cancer, be they surgery or radiation or chemotherapy, um, really leave patients with lots of side effects. So it's relatively toxic treatment in these um, side effects of treatment can be both physical, so they may result, like, like Katie said, in um, radiation fibrosis or scar tissue. Um, they may result in dysphagia or challenge to swallowing, dry mouth, uh, toxicities that are faced by many cancer survivors like fatigue, uh, insomnia, not being able to sleep. Um, and then uh, many um, side effects are really related to things that we would say sort of are psychosocial. So there's very high rates of depression, high rates of anxiety, concerns about body image. Um, cancer survivors, generally speaking, have twice the rate of suicide compared to the general population. And patients with head and neck cancer have um, four times the rate of suicide compared to the general population. So all these things sort of feed together uh, into reinforce one another. And so clinically seeing um, what patients with head and neck cancer struggled with um, after they received their cancer directed treatment led me to really be passionate about this topic. Uh, and then understanding that many of those challenges are actually shared by um, other cancer survivors, so people who go through treatment for breast cancer, prostate cancer, lung cancer, colon cancer, many of the challenges they face about quality of life treatment side effects, financial toxicity uh, are the same in, in building a home from a, a clinical operations and research perspective where we can have really specialists who deal in just the issues faced by cancer survivors, generally speaking, um, seemed a very natural extension a way to help patients at Hollings and throughout South Carolina. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, we, we do have a pain management program here. How are you gonna uh, incorporate that into the plan for the survivorship? Yeah, pain management is a huge issue faced by cancer survivors, so long-term opioid dependence, but um, really just pain, generally speaking, and, and these, again, feed into one another with things about um, distress, fatigue, and, and many other sources of their pain. Um, so incorporating uh, people as part of the 
providers who are part of the pain program currently who may have some specific expert expertise and issues faced by patients with cancer um, will be important and then recognizing it's a very multidisciplinary approach. So um, it may be palliative care providers who have expertise in pain management or maybe that um, a physical therapy regimen that helps improve exercise tolerance can help treat some of those um, pain issues or it may be that um, seeing a psychologist or someone from the behavioral medicine program who can um, offer some um, therapy-based approaches uh, and I think we really have some very innovative research going on here at Hollings and MUSC generally about um, ways to decrease narcotic dependence uh, in this patient population through really combined multidisciplinary approaches. So again, that's a very great example of a program that we would like to uh, incorporate into SCORE. Um, these, these programs that really reach across the MUSC enterprise and bring um, expertise from different fields altogether. Mm -hmm. Well, that is, brings up the next question. So, uh, you know, as you know, MUSC is expanding quite a bit. How do you see the survivorship programs expanding or extending across the state? Yes, I think we certainly recognize that there are specific types of care that patients travel from across the state and even from really neighboring states to get only because they're physically available here. But many, many other aspects of cancer care happen out in the community within either MUSC's regional network or other community oncology-based practices. Uh, and so MUSC um, as a health system has been really at the forefront of thinking of telemedicine based approaches to delivering care to patients where they are. So I think part of this will be naturally expanding physically as MUSC as a health system expands and the cancer center expands its footprint into other aspects across the state and then also leveraging uh, the existing capacity we have, uh, utilizing existing capacity that we have um, to deliver telemedicine based approaches. And so those I think are already being developed for things like PT, they can help uh, for pain management. Sometimes that doesn't require face-to-face -face contact. So I think we have a lot of good strategies between those two to um, get uh, patients and caregivers where they the care where they need it. Yeah, that's great. So Katie, I understand you're developing some videos that we can use to, for patient education on the website. Mm -hmm. What gave you that idea and how is it being effective as, as far as you can tell? Uh, I think that one of the benefits of COVID is that everyone's so much more comfortable. I know it's a weird thing to say, um, benefits of COVID, um, but everyone's so much more comfortable with their computers now and doing things over the computer and turning on a video and following it along, like all those bike-based platforms mm -hmm. um, that are so phenomenally successful. And having patients, I can give them an exercise program and sometimes it makes sense and sometimes it doesn't, but if they can follow along with me, that's even better because then mm. they get the cues for form and everything. And with sometimes your chemotherapy and your steroids, you're awake at two in the morning mm. and you're saying, all right, what do I do now? <laughs> uh, you might as well turn on a video. So let's do a meditation together. Let's do mm. some yoga together. Let's do a neuropathy massage for your feet together. And this is another way for them to feel like, yes, I may be an hour or two hours away, but I have my team mm. here in my house on my computer yeah. Yeah. and I can do stuff right now. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Well, uh, tell me specifically, what are you doing for patients specifically with lymphedema and neuropathy? Are there certain, yeah, I know you talked about the foot mm -hmm. massage, but. So lymphedema is a very big uh, issue that we have and we have a fantastic lymphedema therapist over in Mount Pleasant. Her name is Renee Garrison. Mm -hmm. She uh, is our go-to for high-level lymphedema issues and breast cancer. She will teach patients all about the different lymphedema massage techniques as well as wrapping, compression garments. Mm -hmm. um, we have the fantastic Julie Blair who's in head and neck. Uh, she does wonderful lymphedema training about all of the things that can happen up here after mm -hmm. the surgery and the grafts that are going on. Um, I have a closet full of supplies that I've gotten from around the country. Uh, different vendors have given me fantastic things so patients can come and see lymphedema sleeves, lymphedema head wraps, uh, different compression bras that we have. Uh, lymphedema 
in the state in general is wildly underserved because we don't have enough specialists. So right now we're working on possibly getting anywhere from six to 10 specialists certified a year. So that'll really help us jump up in the inpatient, outpatient, um, and around the state setting for lymphedema training. And so we'll have a lot more certified therapists. Um, for neuropathy, this is my favorite thing to talk about, and I could talk about this all day long. Um, we've been very successful in developing a protocol with physical therapy that's a combination of massage therapy and ankle exercise and some balance training where 85% of patients going through chemotherapy are gonna show up with neuropathy. And it could mm -hmm. be right at the first treatment, it could be six months later. Sometimes you have to curtail treatment because of the neuropathy. Um, so in about eight to 10 weeks, we can take your neuropathy from a nine out of 10 with the numbness, tingling, feeling like you're walking on rocks uh, to a one out of 10. And patients are getting back to walking and they're not using canes and they're not using wheelchairs. Uh, and it's phenomenal. And it's mm -hmm. basically mm -hmm. rub your feet. Mm -hmm. um, and so we're, we're trying, Dr. Hashmi, who's a heme oncologist here, and I are trying to publish this information because it's mm -hmm. very straightforward. Uh, and if we can get more and more research developed about this, uh, we can show everyone that we can help patients go through their chemotherapy treatments and then get back to walking mm -hmm. and feeling like mm -hmm. themselves afterwards. Yeah, I just had a patient complaining about that today. So now I know what to tell I them. will rub their feet all day long, <laughs> send them my way, yes. So what are your next steps with SCORE? Now that you've got a base and some support and a plan, you know, it, or what do you think is the next most important thing to do? Yeah, so I think if Katie gets excited about um, talking about neuropathy, <laughs> then I'll take this joyous opportunity to uh, go with this topic. Um, so I, yeah, so to date, I think we've really established the infrastructure, so sort of the organizational backbone of the SCORE initiative, sort of outlining what its mission is in terms of um, clinical care research and then a, a, a trainee pipeline uh, and um, building this infrastructure and support um, does require um, a lot of resources we've been able to, I think through MUSC and Hollings, then also um, really some awesome philanthropic contributions, um, get the resources in place to really launch and then accelerate this initiative. Uh, and so now that we have that, that really solid foundation, um, we're working on I think, getting the additional right pieces in place. And so some of those pieces um, represent an advisory board. Um, so we're working to um, incorporate patients and caregivers um, from throughout the state into an advisory board to make sure that really the care we're doing and how we build score is very patient and caregiver focused uh, and so they can sort of steer us in the right direction and make sure that we are addressing the things that they prioritize in a patient-centric fashion. Um, we have already a lot of um, really expertise clinically and from a research perspective in cancer survivorship topics and so um, getting those people together now where they can have regular meetings and, and really um, cross-pollinate and fertilize ideas with one another to think of new research projects uh, and then figure out pathways for um, referrals so that people can, within their specialized area of expertise, um, get patients uh, who have specific issues to them so they can get the best evidence-based care and where you can have our, the research we're developing really in, in come, come right back to clinical practice, which is what the goal of this is. Yeah, that's great. Now, is there anything that I didn't ask either of you that you want to add uh, at the end here? I think it's important to mention, you just mentioned referrals. Um, one of the best things about Hollings is how phenomenal our front desk is. Um, mm -hmm. And so if you get, you have the conversation with your provider and you say, they say, yes, you should have physical therapy, um, go check out at the front desk. That's really the way you're gonna get your appointment for PT um, and they can get you right mm -hmm. in. And mm -hmm. like Evan mentioned, we are spreading throughout the state. So maybe you come and see us here at Hollings for your evaluation, but then we send you to North Charleston or to upstate or to wherever's closer to you mm -hmm. so that you get the care that you need without the fatigue of having to travel there. Mm -hmm. 
great. And yeah. I would just, you know, I would add, I, I'm, I think this was an exciting, a really exciting opportunity to talk about sort of what, where we are now and where we hope to be in the future, and hopefully we'll come back and revisit the topic. Sure. Uh, and I think as much as, um, I think we recognize that Hollings as the NCI designated cancer center in the state provides really some extraordinary services for um, preventing and treating cancer. I think we're hoping to bring this this sort of phase of the cancer continuum, the survivorship period up to that same level. And, and I think by having uh, this discussion today to get some, I think, news out there about some of the issues that cancer survivors face and their caregivers face in terms of um, challenges with physical side effects of treatment, um, um, psychosocial side effects of treatment and financial side effects of treatments, and then potentially services that um, we can offer here both to develop new standards of care and then give them the best evidence-based care is, is really an important thing. So just like people would think of coming here um, for their treatment, uh, I think we're trying to build something that will allow them to continue to stay here for the rest of their um, hopefully very long survivorship period after they getting, get their, their world-class treatment here. Well, I want to thank both of you for all you do for our patients here at Hollings and actually for all of South Carolina because uh, these services aren't widely available everywhere, and, and I think as we expand and grow, we're going to really provide an important service to the state. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for all <laughs> that you're doing for this. I also want to thank you for joining us. This wraps up this session of Hollings Crosstalk. Be sure to join us each month for the latest trends in cancer prevention and treatment happening here at Hollings. We are an NCI-designated cancer center, and through our programs and clinical trials, we're developing tomorrow's treatments. Check out the Hollings Multimedia News site to see prior episodes, as well as some of our inspiring stories about our survivors. Thank you for listening to this episode of Cancer Chat. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at MUSC Hollings, and visit us online at www.hollingscancercenter.musc.edu. And remember, here at the Hollings Cancer Center, we're finding tomorrow's cure for cancer today.